I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved Lars. republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a Conspiracy Theory Thursday, and I expect to hear at least a few of them right now. Uh, it's great to be with you. And if you want to join what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. If you happen to be a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the list. And, of course, you can always vote in our Twitter poll. Well, we now call it the X poll. But on the X poll, do you trust Nikki Haley's judgment after saying that Texas can secede from the union if the people of Texas decide to do so. I don't think she's right about that, but it's just one more reason why I'm not a big fan of Nikki Haley as a presidential candidate. And apparently, the people in her own home state of South Carolina, boy, when that primary arrives, I think Donald Trump, uh, you know, is going to beat Nikki Haley badly. Right now, the latest poll, and this, by the way, is not a poll from a conservative media outlet. It's from the Washington Post. And the Washington Post says Trump is leading Haley with a solid majority of support in South Carolina. That's in the polls. Polls don't always translate to votes, but they often give you an idea of where things are going. And Nikki Haley in her home state has less than one third of the vote in that poll. In her home state, she is trailing 26 points behind. So, do you trust Nikki Haley's judgment after telling the people of Texas, yeah, you can secede if you decide to, if that's the wishes of the people of Texas? Today's X poll is found at Lars Larson Show, and it's brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in. I join. You should, too. Just go to amac.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAX better, better for you and better for America. Well, let's go to calls first. And again, if you want to join the program and the conversation, naysayers, of course, always go first. I don't think Kevin's a naysayer, but it's 866-439-5277. Hey, Kevin, what's on your mind today? Hey, Lars, question, comment, question. Uh, the thing going on in Montana about the transgender child. Can I bring the audience? Can I bring my audience up to date on that? Because we talked about it yesterday, and you clearly heard about it. Just to shorthand it, a 14-year-old girl living with her father and her stepmother, who's married to her father, but away from her biological mother, apparently lives in Canada and hasn't had much contact with this 14-year-old girl. The girl begins to tell parents, apparently, she wants to become a boy. She thinks her name is Leo, and she then calls for help saying that she swallowed a a jug of uh, drain cleaner and uh, an overdose of ibuprofen. Uh, This gets the attention, because she's taken to the hospital, it gets the attention of the doctors. Turns out she hasn't taken anything of the kind, but the state busybodies jump in, in the state of Montana, and they say, well, what's the problem? And she says, I want to become a boy. And they take the girl away from her parents. They ship her off to a clinic 
in Wyoming, where she is equipped with what are called chest binders, which is what they would do with a young lady to, you know, basically strap her breasts down so they don't appear so that she can begin to present herself as a boy. Now, the state of Montana had already passed a law last year that was signed by the governor that said that forbade any kind of gender transition, either chemicals, hormones or surgery. And the governor signed that bill. And he's now defending the decision to take this girl away from her father and his wife, her stepmother, uh, and to put her in a clinic somewhere out of state because apparently what I think what was going on in the Wyoming clinic, although we can't know for sure because of HIPAA, uh, what was going on there was the beginnings of helping her transition to a different gender, which is all popular and woke and all that. But the parents have a right to have something to say about how their daughter is raised. And uh, and yet the state of Montana apparently decided that parents were a danger to this girl because they opposed the idea of her becoming a boy. So with all that having been said, what's your comment on it? Okay, so now we're supposed to be good parents, save for college, send them to, court, uh, to uh, prom, buy their car. Are we now going to be liable to pay for a sex change? One way or another, Kevin, right now, the way things are, the honest answer is yes. And, and I'll tell you why okay, I say what, yes. Because, what kind of because. Are we going to get? <laughs> what kind of what? Are we going to get incentive to help? We don't have. Well, you don't have to have an incentive to help. The, the state will take your money through taxes at the point of a gun. Or the federal government will take your money. And how they will pay for most of this nonsense? Because. Again, there are some sick, I think, perverted parents out there who've decided, now they are, who've decided to buy into this nonsense that their kid comes in and says, I'm a girl, I want to be a boy, and they say, great, we'll take you to the doctor, we'll pay the bill. In that case, the parents end up paying, or insurance probably pays for some of it, and the parents pay the rest. But if parents say, I'm not going to do it, and the state steps in, as so many states have started to pass laws saying that Kids can effectively be kidnapped from their parents, taken away for this kind of treatment, the initial stages of it, at age 14, which is not old enough for anything. I mean, society has decided over the decades, Kevin, that, uh, that until you reach 18, if you sign a contract, it is not binding. If you want to get a piercing, God knows why, but you want to get a piercing, you can't legally decide to do that. You want a tattoo, you can't do that either. You want to go to a tanning booth, you can't do that. Um, and until you're 16, you can't drive a car, and you can't dry, buy booze, and you can't buy a gun, and you can't vote till you're 18. So there are all those things, and the one common point of all of those things is maturity. Because society, and society sets the rules, at least in theory. So if the people of the state say, you know, the, the youngest age of consent, say, for marriage, I think is Massachusetts at 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, Massachusetts, yep. The people of Massachusetts decide when you're 13 with your parents sign off, you can get married. Now, a lot of other people would say, ah, I think that's way too young. But the one thing that all the states agree on, before you're 18, you are not an adult. And in many cases, you can't even be held to account for crimes you commit before you're 18 because you're not an adult. And the same people who are backing up this woke nonsense about changing from boy to girl or girl to boy will also tell you, well, you know, the studies show that a child's brain doesn't fully mature till 26. Fine. Don't let them vote till they're 26. Don't let them do anything else till they're 26. I want 
citizens, including 18 and 19-year-old citizens, to have the maximum amount of liberty. I'm not in favor of infringing their rights till 26. But how do you simultaneously argue that your brain ain't mature till you're 26, but at 14, you can decide that you want to have your body parts cut off and take chemical castration or, you know, alter your body's physiology to make you into something you're not. How in the world do you get real informed consent in that case? Yeah, it's come down to education, people training people to be what they need to be in the proper fashion. And, and the government you know, training parents that you're not in charge of your kids anymore, right? Yeah, that's crazy. It is. It is absolutely lunatic. Uh, at some point, I hope to get Governor Greg Gianforte from Montana on. I've been very critical of him because I don't see how you can square up sending a child out of state and giving her chest binders to buy into her psychological nonsense that she's actually a boy and then saying he's keeping good faith with the laws of Montana that say you can't do this to kids. Back in a moment, you've got the Lars Larson Show. Hi. You can't fix stupid. Stupid is forever. But you surely can vote them out. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your calls. We'll get back to calls in just a moment, but we've talked the last several days about the tragic loss of three U.S. service members in a drone attack. Uh, the attack happened in the country of Jordan at a, a base called Tower 22. It is one of the jumping off points into Syria if American military men and women are placed in Syria. But this drone attack, we now know, has been confirmed to be a group that was backed up by Iran which, unfortunately, Joe Biden has sought to you know, supply them with billions of dollars by both unfreezing assets and not enforcing sanctions on oil sales. And the Iranians have been, uh, well, they've been the biggest state sponsor of terrorism on the globe. So I thought we'd talk about that with Brian Clark, who's head of the Center for Defense Concepts and Technology at the Hudson Institute. Brian, welcome back. Thanks a lot, Lars. Good to be here. So tell me this. Uh, first of all, I've had a number of questions from people that you might be able to satisfy. They said, how, how in the heck did this drone get to the base? Because they usually have countermeasures yeah. against it. And I've told them that what little I've been able to eke out of some of the coverage of it is that when American forces use drones, they send them out, but they have to turn off the countermeasures as they leave. And then they have to turn off countermeasures when that drone returns, else our own drone would be brought down by our countermeasures. And apparently the jihadis figured this out and figured out how to follow one of our drones in with, with I think, three of theirs. Do I have that about right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so because we've got these counter drone systems in automatic, essentially, you have to turn them off when you've got a drone coming back in from a mission. Um, and that, and obviously these guys watched, you know, the, the terrorists watched and figured out that that was the pattern, and then they just took advantage of it. So... How do we protect against this, and should we be getting ready 
for some kind of full-on conflict with Iran. And I know the president two days ago said he had decided on how to respond to Iran's role in this and the Hamas attack in October in Israel and the rest of this stuff, 165 or might be 170 by now, attacks on U.S. military by various elements that seem to be surrogates of what I call the mad mullahs in Tehran. Are we shaping up to some kind of head-to-head conflict with Iran? Well, I think that the administration is going to try to avoid that. You know, they want to avoid escalating this. They're going to try to figure out a way to send Iran the message, you know, that we're not going to take this anymore while not giving Iran some kind of pretext to launch another counterattack. So it'll probably be some kind of cyber attack or some, uh, you know, targeted economic sanctions, or it'll be you know, some kind of uh, backdoor, you know, uh, attack on, on their uh, you know, financial system. So it's going to be something like that as opposed to, a, you know, direct kinetic attack on Iranian forces. They'll also probably attack these uh, terrorist uh, uh, encampments that are facilitating these attacks against U.S. forces. So it'll be a combination of those things, most likely. Is that going to work? I mean, if if they go oh, no. after the... <laughs> is, okay, go ahead. Expand on that, please, Brian. Right, yeah. So what's going to... So they'll, um, so they'll mount these counterattacks so they can say they did something... Um, and be able to you know, argue that the, that Iranians are, are getting the message, but Iran's going to continue to do this because they know it works. You know, they know that they can continue to supply arms and money to these groups. They'll continue to go off and do these actions. Iran will claim, you know, that they can't control them and they're on their own. But um, you know, this is all to Tehran's benefit because they can push back on the U.S., push back on Israel, keep the area destabilized, uh, and be able to build up their own power and influence in the region. And in fact, it, it seems that almost anything Joe Biden does is going to play right into that goal and that strategy, right? Yeah. So, the, I mean, the, the I mean, it's a smart strategy because it, it kind of puts uh, President Biden in a box, right? So, I mean, if he responds really aggressively, then the U.S. looks like, you know, the provocator and then, you know, the aggressor. Um, because we attacked Iran, uh, Tehran or Iran, um, you know, arguably, they would say, without provocation. Um, so these proxy groups are a perfect tool for Iran to get its uh, its way in the Middle East. Um, and they're really the only way to take them out is to start dismantling them, just like we had in, in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq before then. You've got to start pulling the network apart and figuring out where the supply lines are coming from and who the, the players are. And I'm not sure if the U.S. has the you know, the will and the, and the kind of stick-to-itiveness to, to carry that out. Yeah, especially, I would add to that, especially under this commander-in-chief. But there's part of me, Brian, uh, understand my ambivalence. There's part of me that says, why do we have people on the ground in Syria, <laughs> people on the ground in Jordan, people on the other hand, there's another part of me that says, but if we respond to all these attacks by pulling out, then the terrorists right. get to say, you see, it, it, we told right. you to, to their fellow jihadis, right. we told you if right. we just kept hitting It'll them, work. they'd leave. And now that right. doesn't mean they do less of it. They now say, let's do more of it and let's get them to leave the entire region. Right. Right. So, the, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, they, the, uh, the ideal solution would be not to be there uh, and, and have avoided this. But uh, to pull out now is going to be obviously, you know, a sign of weakness, and, and that'll be exploited by the, the jihadis. So you kind of have to stick with it, you know, long enough to be able to show that you're strong, show you're resisting this uh, effort by Iran, um, and then kind of, you know, down, downsize your footprint, you know, over time and come up with some other ways to push back on Iran in the region. 
um, maybe at sea. You know, there's a lot of things that we could do from the maritime, you know, that would be really good at, at constraining Iran and maybe shutting down their access to the sea and their oil exports, you know, doing some of the kind of gray zone operations like China does to uh, uh, Taiwan all the time. Or it could lead to more of these Houthi attacks where, Brian, I'd like you to comment on this. I thought somebody had a great observation. They said, look, for the longest time in all of world history, to be able to run a naval blockade, you had to have a navy of your own that was at least big enough to run a blockade. Now the Houthi terrorists have demonstrated you don't have to have a rowboat to be able to do a naval blockade, and they're doing it right now, right? Right, yeah. So, um, you know, that obviously you can do that in some really constrained waters, you know, like the Red Sea, where you can pretty much shoot all the way across the Red Sea from uh, the Yemeni side of the, of the coast. Um, so, yeah, you can cut off an area of ocean or, or make it really hard to pass um, just by actions from shore. And the Houthis have been doing that very effectively. Um, and Iran has been doing a great job of supplying them and keeping them sustained. Uh, but uh, obviously that doesn't you can't do that everywhere. Um, but yeah, no, but if you, if you can, how much of the world shipping goes through that venue? Right. Like 30%. (laughs) Well, there you go. 40%, depending on how you count it. Um, yeah, so it's, it's obviously, it's extremely effective. And so again, you know, the only way to stop it is to really dismantle the network that's, that's launching the attacks because, you know, they're mobile, you know, they go to ground very easily. Um, but they're getting support, you know, from Iran, but it makes its way through, you know, ships and boats and, you know, across the uh, Yemeni territory. So you got to come up with a way to start taking that apart, um, which is a big mission. And I don't know that the, you know, U.S., the current administration or the you know, DOD has the stomach uh, to mount that. So you're going to see these sort of pinprick responses as opposed to really going after the root cause. Which, which, which brings us full Iran. circle <laughs> back to boots on the ground in places we shouldn't right. be, right? Right, right, right. So, you know, you're kind of, you know, damn if you do, damn if you don't. But since we're there, you kind of, we have to carry it. You have to kind of do some, at least, you know, kind of due diligence, if you will. You got to do some, you know, kind of basic level of response or else you're going to see be seen as weak. Um, hey, I've got yeah, an idea, Brian. You since, be there. <laughs> since you're the technology guy, and I know this is decades ago, can we bring back the rods from God? You remember that project? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, there's variations on that. These new um, hypersonic weapons the DOD is building, some of the, the all the war, warheads for those are intended to be like those tungsten rods, kinetic weapons. Yeah, except the tungsten rods warhead. are just you, you loft 50 of them on a satellite and you say, right. you want to cause trouble? <laughs> yeah. How would you like a 20 pound piece of titanium or or what are you depleted uranium straight from orbit at 17,000 miles an hour? How's right. that going to work out? And you say, plus they're cheap. It's big chunks of metal in orbit, right? right? That's right. I mean, now it's cheap. You know, it used to be expensive to put things in orbit. Now with SpaceX, it's uh, inexpensive. So that that's becoming more of an option. I wouldn't be surprised if you see we see that you know in the future if it, it isn't already up there for all I know. But um, I think you know the more you know kind of more the more maybe more effective thing would be let's start making you know let's make Iran pay uh, economically you know so let's cut off their access to their selling, selling oh, a lot oh of no, oil. Brian, to Brian, Brian, you, you know? can't have Joe forced to go back to another Trump policy. He's already had to do that on so many things. <laughs> He's had, he abandoned all the Trump policies and said whatever that guy did. I'm not going to do it, and now he's having to go back to it. Brian Clark from the Hudson Institute. You got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show.
we tend not to think. Senator John Kennedy gets it. Mr. President, you just got to try harder not to suck. Well said, Mr. Kennedy. We agree. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and your emails at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. couple of things I want to mention. Number one. The Federal Trade Commission and Lena Kahn, the chair of the FTC, are still out there trying to kill American jobs. And the latest example, this is so crazy because usually I end up talking about this with my friend Seton Motley, uh, but this is nuts. There was a merger. I didn't even know it was going on. Amazon was apparently buying iRobot. They make the Roomba vacuums that run around your house and, you know, vacuum up all the dust and all that stuff. Well, they, there was a concern. They said, we're worried about this. The European Commission had raised objections to the merger, saying, well, you know, it would make it more market-friendly in the United Kingdom. They didn't object to the merger. So where did they get the objection from? They got it from Lena Khan in the FTC here in the United States. And here's what the Federal Trade Commission said in a statement after the merger was ditched. During our investigation, we've been in close contact with the FTC. That means they're talking to each other on the phone. The day the merger died, guess what happened? Because they were going to merge iRobot, the company makes a Roomba, uh, with Amazon. Now, Amazon's got lots of cash, and they've got a massive marketing machine. And whether you like Amazon or not, I don't like them all the time either. But you would imagine that would make a company they buy more able to weather economic storms. I'm guessing that as the economy starts to cool off, that the number of people buying four or $500 Roombas to run around in vacuum is probably going down. iRobot, the day after the merger died, announced it's laying off 350 of its employees. That's about one-third of its entire workforce. Now, that's American workers who take the punishment. Guess who wins big? Who has the other half of the world's robot vacuum market? Well, that would be communist China. Now, hold on a second. So Joe Biden, who sold out to the Chinese communists a long, long time ago, he's already turned over America or wants to turn over America's energy future to China by saying, we're going to buy your windmills from China. We're going to buy solar panels from China. I think that eventually we're going to end up, although there are trade barriers to it now, we're going to end up seeing a lot of electric vehicles that we will buy not from American makers, but from China. And who's driving all of this? Well, that would be Joseph R. Biden at the White House, because it's his FTC and his appointee, Lena Khan, who said, no, 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 we can't have a healthy company absorb a company that clearly was on the financial ropes. That's the only reason that uh, uh, iRobot, the maker of Roomba, would lay off one-third of its entire workforce. So they talked to the European Commission, get the merger deal killed. The next day, literally, iRobot lays off 350, and the Chinese are just laughing all the way to the bank. They're saying, yep, we're going to diminish the size of that company, and our products are going to simply replace them in American stores. So Joe Biden, one more time, handing over 
our economy to the Chinese communists who put so much money into the Biden crime family, and now it's paying huge dividends. Let's go to Virgil. Hey, Virgil, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Uh, thanks, Lars. I'm a big fan of your show and truth, logic, and common sense. Uh, my question Thank is you. about the drones. Yeah. Uh, why couldn't we have, you know, kind of like your cell phones where you can find my phone? Couldn't it have a tracking device that identifies our drones? We could. And in fact, as I understand, most of the commercial drones that are sold either the toys that people buy or even the commercial ones that farmers use. I mean, there are lots and lots of businesses that use drones for really conventional things. I mean, real estate people use drones. So, yes, you right, could. Yeah. But but mm -hmm. there's, there's a problem with that. If you say, well, we're only going to let drones approach, say, military outposts like Tower 22 in Jordan, uh, if they're squawking the right kind of signal, like an IFF. IFFs are used on, identify friend or foe, are used on military aircraft. They're going to have to be very secure, though, because the minute the bad guys figure out, uh, all we've got to do is set our drone up so that it's squawking out the same signal that the American drones do, then how do you tell them apart? So as the technology guy we had on said, when the drones are coming back toward a base like that, they have electronic countermeasures that are designed to take down any drone coming toward the base. And you say, well, then how do you keep it from taking down your own drones as they come and go? And the answer is you turn them off, let the drones come back home. When you're about to send them off, you turn off the countermeasures. Well, the jihadis figured that out as well. I'm sure that technology at some point, and here's the sad thing, Virgil, from my point of view, I love technology. I'm kind of a geek and a nerd about technology. But the problem you have to, I guess, wrap your head around is every time they figure out a way to make sure people can't break into something, can't penetrate a system, the other guys, whoever they happen to be, good guys or bad guys, figure out how to counter that. That's why 20, well, 30 years ago, you would have taken your bank card and you say, this bank card is secure because when I put it in the ATM, it reads the number off the card and then I have to put in a PIN number. Well, that wasn't good enough because people figured out a way to goof the, or, you know, to gimmick those or hack them. And so they said, okay, now we got to have a chip on it. And then they put chip readers, the thieves put chip readers on. So just anticipate that every time you figure out a way to stop the bad guys from getting in, the bad guys are going to figure out a different way to get in. Let's go to Ron in Alabama. Hey, Ron, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, what's on my mind is this president we have in this economy. <laughs> Man, yeah. It, it's terrible. It's all you can think about. I mean, it consumes me. I'm sure it does a lot of other people. I don't know what we're going to do with the rest. I hope we can get him out here shortly. We got less that's than a year. We, got le we can replace him with Donald Trump come January of next year. Well, that's right. what I plan doing with my vote, but, you know, that's not a given. Man, if we get four more years of this, I don't know what we're going to do. No, I, I, we're going to be in the soup it, because, among other things, if we will have had, by the end of this year, uh, at the current rate, we'll have about 13 million illegal aliens on our soil. And, by the way, during the break at the bottom of the hour, I saw a bulletin come across. Those four guys they initially arrested for the beatdown of those two cops in Times Square, New York, uh, they arrested three more. But the first four they arrested, including one that already had prior accusations for robbery and assault, 
Those four, uh, and then they arrested three more more recently, they were cut loose with no bail whatsoever. Do you know what the bulletin was just now? They believe those four hopped a bus the day after they were released, and they're on their way to California right now. So, and, and you know, you and I both know, I've never been arrested. I've never had to, you know, bail out of jail or anything like that. But I've covered those kind of stories. You know that one of the routine things they do when you go out on bail or they send you out on some kind of release, you know, whether it's with security or with not, uh, without, the court says, and don't leave the county and don't do this and don't do that. Among which I think the, the rules they would have laid down for release are show up at your next court date and don't leave the county or don't leave the state. And what do these guys immediately do? They act like illegal aliens do. They say the rules don't apply to us. We're just going to get on a bus and we'll go, we'll go west instead. You know, you know they're not sending their best over here to us. They're cleaning out their, I think they're cleaning out their, uh, uh, penitentiaries and their mental institutions. And, you know, look here, if you can't expect them to go by the rules coming into the country, they're not going to go by them once they get here. I guarantee the law of the rules, you know. They're not going to do it at all. I always like to say that if you're robbing a liquor store, you don't worry about whether or not you park your getaway car uh, legally or not. Back in just a moment, you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. and talk journalism it's 866 hey lars that's 866-439-5277 and after hearing those words of ronald reagan one of donald trump's favorite slogans during the 2016 election was his promise to drain the swamp in washington dc but it seems the swamp does not want to be put down not at all seaton how are you i'm doing well sir how are you not too bad. Seton Motley, president of Less Government, I hope your ears were burning because I was just talking about you. I mentioned your name in line with this before we get to uh, the swamp. This story about the FTC apparently chatting with their buddies in the European Commission saying, kill this deal where Amazon was about to absorb, and I have my own doubts about Amazon, but they were about to absorb iRobot, the company that makes a little Roomba vacuums. They ain't cheap. Uh, but they do seem to do a good job. I have one that actually does a lot of the vacuuming, so I don't have to. Um, but but by killing that deal the next day, iRobot lays off a third of its workforce, 350 Americans. And the Chinese, who make up most of the rest of the uh, robot vacuums, are saying, hey, thanks very much, Joe. Uh, we appreciate you killing some of our competition. Hey, $33 million or whatever it was that China gave Hunter and, and Joe seems to be working wonders. Paying um, dividends. Yes. Um, no, I, I, like, like you said, I have a huge problem with Amazon. And they've done a lot of really crappy stuff that I've written extensively about, and I'm sure they hate me. But, um, again... They, the, the things they choose to care about, like, like we said, if, if with the airlines, JetBlue and Spirit, the first thing that happens after they block the deal is uh, Spirit starts laying off people and, and may go under. Um, iRobot was in trouble. Uh, I don't have a problem with you know them acquiring assets. Now, again, we have to take a step back and look at the economy. And this is I don't have any specific regulations that hurt iRobot. 
But the fact that, as a general principle, the more government regulation and taxes there are, the the the, the higher up the food chain the kills come. Yep. You know, the bigger the companies are that can't absorb the cost of dealing with government, and then you end up with you know we talked about this in the banks a million times where Dodd Frank murdered about a uh, you know thousands of community banks, and the big banks got fifty percent bigger because they absorbed all the all the kills. And likewise with this, I'm sure iRobot would have done better with less government, but I'm not entirely sure why blocking this by Amazon, when there are other, you know, companies like Amazon are acquiring a company a week. You know, Apple does that. Google does that. This wouldn't be the hill I'd die on. You know, Amazon acquiring iRobot, I'm not sure. That, no. That, that, that's the acquisition I'd be primarily concerned about from, from Amazon. Well, I, I, I guess all I'm thinking is, Seton, if we're in an existential, uh, a war that threatens the existence of the Western world, and I really think that's right. what we're in with China. China is absolutely bound and determined to become the dominant military, diplomatic, and economic power on Earth. And if the Western powers, Europe and the United States, say, hey, let's, let's hamstring and kill all of our own local companies, what could possibly go wrong? Well, what could go wrong is the Chinese don't even have to compete, and they're pretty good at doing that, whether it's legitimately or not, um, that they right. can then, uh, they, they don't have to work half as hard to suck up all the extra business and, and, and make our economic demise that much closer. And, and, and and speaking of Amazon in China, one of the things Amazon is famous for, um, they, the, a whistleblower outed them in India, but please don't pretend they only did this in India. What, when a third-party retailer, when third-party retailers go to Amazon and say, hey, we'd like to sell on your platform, they ask 9 million questions about the product that have no bearing on whether or not you should sell the product on the platform. Amazon then goes to China and says, hey, duplicate this. And then when you search for that item, their duplicate, their copy, their illegal theft comes up first at the top of the search results and your original comes up on page eight. And they've been, they were, they were doing that institutionally in, in India. And God knows you, they're not just doing that in India. So how would, so but how would you prohibit that? I mean, you know, I remember that a lot of the discussions you and I have had about the banks where you say, well, the banks can be involved in banking, but we shouldn't have them involved in, say, stock trading and all that because there's a, there's a, a conflict. So when you have a major retailer, should you allow the major retailer to have its own brands? Because the minute you do that, I mean, in most cases, if you have a grocery store and every one of the grocery stores Tina and I have ever shopped at the whole time we've been married now, uh, which is almost three decades now, you'd say, okay, uh, Kroger has its own house brand, Safeway has its right. own house brand, Albertsons, et cetera. And he says, is there anything inherently wrong that you can buy peas that are put in a can by Albertsons or peas that are put in a can by Kroger? Not really, because it's not the same well, thing well, as Amazon. Only, only but you're right. Is stealing, only if Safeway is stealing Lasur peas <laughs> and putting it in Safeway cans. That, well. that's, that's, the, that's the equivalent analogy with what Amazon is doing. And, and Amazon makes its own products. And you can usually tell because the Chinese just spring to, string together a <laughs> bunch of U.S. letters that make no earthly sense. You can't even pronounce them, and that's the name of the product. Um, but, but yeah, that, it, it's, it's a theft. I don't have a problem with Amazon having its own product. 
I have a problem with them stealing it and then having their own product. Well, is it and, stealing if somebody says, I have a robot vacuum, and Amazon says, okay, a ro- I robot sells an, a, 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 you know, a robot vacuum. Let's go see if there's some other robot vacuums or we can make one of our own. Is that stealing or is that just copying, you know, since imitation's the sincerest form well, of flattery? Well, if you go, like, if, if, I, if there's iRobot and ro- ro- RoboVac, let's just make up another yeah. brand, and they buy right. RoboVac because they want to compete with iRobot, well, that's one thing. But if they, if they said to iRobot, Oh, iRobot comes to him and says, we want to sell on your platform. Okay, here's 9,000 questions about how you make, how you design, how you you know, manufacture your iRobot. And they answer all the questions, and then five seconds later, there's a Chinese cop knockoff <laughs> on the first page of the search results, and iRobot's on page eight of the search results. That's what I'm talking about here. That's what they're doing, and so that's the problem. So how do you fix it? What do you prohibit well, them from doing? Well, again, this is this is again, this is you have to take a step back and realize I'm not sure how you fix it because we've allowed these companies to get so huge that it's almost irreversible. I, one thing I would do, one thing I absolutely would do, was make them break off Amazon Web Services from Amazon Retail because the way, the way the main way Amazon Retail got so huge is they almost never turn a profit. They yep. subsidize Amazon Web Services, dumps hundreds of millions and billions of dollars into retail to allow them to charge lower prices and undercut everybody. They, and so Amazon just got huge. It's kind of a race to the bottom. That's Seton Lamotley from the group called Less Government. Back in just a moment, you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved Republic, it's in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a Thursday. We like to call those Conspiracy Theory Thursday because you got a lot of conspiracy suggestions on Thursdays. That's at least been my experience, but welcome to the program. We don't call it the best conversation in talk journalism for nothing. And you're welcome to join if you'd like. 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, you disagree with my point of view, we decided more than a quarter century ago, naysayers go first. So if you call in, the producers know you get to go first, although you do have to stick around for a couple of questions. Let me start you out with a couple of thoughts. First of all, some big developments down. The House Committee on Homeland Security has now voted to advance articles of impeachment against Joe Biden's DA HS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Are Republicans actually going to be successful in removing him? We're going to talk about that a bit later. Turns out that uh, Ken Buck, member of Congress, we're told, is already planning not to vote to impeach Mayorkas, and that's a big disappointment. How bad do things have to be for somebody to willingly move back to China from a California city? I'll give you a specific example. 
Can you imagine saying, no, no, things are too rough. It's too dangerous here in America. I want to move back and be a chai com again. Considering that America produces some of the cleanest natural gas in the world, why in the world would Joe Biden want to jeopardize U.S. jobs, energy security, and our own economy by pausing natural gas exports? I think he'd cancel them if he could get around to it. All of that, and then you can vote in our X poll. Used to call it Twitter, now it's X. Here's the question. Do you trust Nikki Haley's judgment after saying that Texas can secede? I don't trust Nikki Haley's judgment anyway, but this just makes it worse. According to Nikki Haley, Texas has the right to secede from the United States if its citizens decide to do so, at least according to the Republican presidential candidate, Nikki Haley. Yep, the same Nikki Haley who in her home state of South Carolina is currently trending about 26 points behind Donald Trump, who has majority support in the upcoming primary. It'll be interesting to see just how bad a drubbing she gets in her own home state and whether or not her big money donors keep on giving money to that. But consider this. She went on a radio show called The Breakfast Club, and she said, if Texas decides to secede, they want to do that, they can do that. We don't want to be part of America anymore. I mean, that's their decision to make. Wow, talk about talk about an interesting point of view. She says, let's talk about reality, though. Texas is not going to secede. Then why say it? And why say the people of Texas have the right? Asked if she still believes that states generally have the right to secede, she said states have the right to make the decisions that their people want to make. I would tend to disagree with her, but... There you go. She's running for president and losing. She is going to become the Kamala Harris of the Republican Party. Today's poll on X can be found at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I've always believed in. I joined and you should too. Just go to AMAC.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC's better. Better for you and better for America. To your calls now at 866-439-5277. Hey, Tony, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Mr. Lars, thank you for taking my call. Sorry about my, my It's my pleasure. Um, well, right. And uh, I always enjoy listening to you. And usually when I think I disagree with you, 99 times out of 100, it's because I've misunderstood or I've misheard. But I'm thinking in the case of your ex-Twitter poll. Yes. I I do disagree with you uh, because I guess it's not a question of judgment in my mind. I, I live in Texas, and I think it would be stupid for the people of Texas to vote to secede. I think it would be stupid to secede. Uh, it is, and I'm ignorant in some areas or in a lot of areas. I, there's very few areas I'm not ignorant in. But I, I guess in my mind, can't, can't they do that? That's, they've, they've been talking about that since I moved there 20 years ago to Texas. Well, I don't believe I don't believe they can. And I'll tell you why. Um, I went back and looked up the history of this some time ago. It's been relatively recent, though. It was an ancient history. And it was that when Texas, you know, Texas departed from uh, from the United States for a time, became its own country. And then they rejoined. And when they rejoined, they effectively said, we're going to be part of the union. Now, you understand that the states, um, the states were created you know, by the action of the federal government, you know, and, and so right. I don't think that, that if a group of people inside a state big enough says, well, we want to leave that arrangement, 
I think that arrangement, because it's bilateral, it's like a contract. So if you say, I'm an, if you and I were in a contract, and then one day I wanted to leave the contract, I can't just say, oh, it's over, I'm out. Because there are consequences to that, and I'd have to get your sign-off. Well, okay, Lars, I'll let you. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, I've been in contracts before where uh, I, I came to be at odds with people, employment contracts, and they, they kind of wanted to end it, and I wanted to end it. And when we came to an agreement on how it would end, I left. And I left, you know, but, but that's how you do it. You don't just announce, hey, by the way, we're leaving. I, I don't think that's the way to do it. And I think Nikki Haley is wrong on the law, wrong on the Constitution on that issue. And, now, again, I'm not a legal that, scholar. I'd be the first to admit it. Right. Right. And that I guess. And, and quite frankly, I talked with quite a few people there in Texas who are proud to be a part of the Republic of Texas, as they like to call it. And uh, they, they do have this sense that, you know, we don't need the United States. The United States needs us. Now, if Nikki Haley says that Texas should vote and should try to secede from the United States, I'd say, oh, yeah, I question her judgment. I question her judgment for a lot of other reasons. Why is she still in the race? There's well, a like lot I, of reasons you know why? Do you know why she's in the race, Tony? I think it's very simple. There are establishment, big money Republicans who like the swamp and they want the swamp to continue. And if Nikki Haley knocks Donald Trump out, that was their fever dream that they had. If we pump enough money into Nikki, maybe she can sideline uh, Donald Trump. That's not turning out to be a good investment. But if they get Haley or they get Biden, Either way, they win. The swamp survives. And I think she's an establishment Republican. She's going to do what the establishment wants. Donald Trump is not. Donald Trump says, I'm going to end all this deep state stuff. And I know there are people who don't believe in the deep state. But I would suggest to you, you can see really out front of you and everything, examples of it right now. For example, if you're somebody who goes in uh, Navy a veteran goes in and he knocks the head off Satan, a statue of Satan in Iowa, and he's looking at maybe five years in, in the joint. Uh, a father who shows up at a pro-life rally, and he's looking at years behind bars, potentially. And then you say, well, what about uh, people who commit other kinds of crimes? They're from the other side of the aisle, whether they're Antifa or BLM or illegal aliens. And you say, oh, in that case, we have a lot of sympathy for those people. So the justice system says you can do that. If you were a J6 protester and you broke the law, do you get a trespassing ticket? No, you get years in prison. If you're an Antifa or a BLM and you try to burn a city down or shoot somebody or loot a store, oh, in that case, social justice requires that we give you all the deference in the world. Tony, thanks for the call. You got the Lars Larson Show. Senator John Kennedy on the Washington establishment. The Washington establishment is working harder than an ugly stripper to cover up whatever happened. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Conspiracy Theory Thursday. And I'm always glad to welcome back to the program uh, Bob Barr, our friend, 
former CIA analyst, member of Congress, soon to no longer be the first vice president of the board of the NRA, but instead be the president of that great organization. Bob, welcome back. Well, thank you, Lars. Always great to be with you and your listeners on Thursday. I'm just curious about this because at long last, the Republicans seem to have grown at least part of a backbone and said we're going to advance articles of impeachment against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. And yet I'm hearing now that there are even some Republicans who are planning to vote no on the impeachment of this guy who's lied to the Congress, lied to the American public, and helped Joe Biden to facilitate opening wide the southern border of the United States. How is that even possible? Well, of course, it's possible because uh, many Republicans don't have the proverbial background and worry about uh, upsetting the apple cart, which is the swamp up in Washington, D.C. You know, I, I read very carefully the uh, the two articles of impeachment that were reported out by the Homeland uh, uh, Security Committee the other day. And what and I think it's a very appropriate move, by the way. I do think it satisfies what Alexander Hamilton said in uh, uh, the uh, Federalist Papers, that uh, impeachment is, in fact, a tool, uh, a political tool, but uh, it can be used to remove uh, cabinet officials and presidents for misdeeds, serious misdeeds. And what Mayorkas is doing is not simply not enforcing federal laws that mandate he do certain things. He is deliberately finding and implementing ways to get around them, to circumvent them. You know, if I tried to do that when I was a U.S. attorney under Presidents Reagan and Bush one, I would have been fired, and rightfully so. Well, because it, for but but for Republicans to say. We don't want to upset the apple. How do you upset the apple cart if you say, is this guy doing his job? No. Has he lied to Congress? Yes. Has he worked all these, you know, strange little workarounds like uh, giving parole, which by law is supposed to only be given in very rare cases on a case-by-case basis, and just giving it away wholesale to anybody who wants to come into the country. And then the fact that many of these people are turning out to be convicted criminals on the terrorist watch list, and most recently, a group of them beat down to the pavement a couple of cops in Times Square in broad daylight and on camera. And if that isn't enough to qualify for misdeeds, I don't know what is. It, it certainly is, and I think perhaps what most uh, worries some of these uh, spineless Republicans is the fact that, well, if we do this against Mayorkas, gee, maybe uh, next time we have a Republican president and a cabinet officer that the Democrats don't like, they'll do the same to us, so let's not set a precedent here. Uh, which is uh, certainly not the way to govern responsibly, uh, and it uh, shows very clearly, Lars, what you said, and that is a lack of spine on the part of many Republicans. And, you know, if you have a significant or substantial majority, you can afford to lose a few, but not when you have a, uh, a single-digit majority in the House. And this is a real problem, unfortunately, for Mike Johnson. See, because I think that fear is really not well-founded. Because it would be like a citizen saying, well, you know, I, if, if we advocate for the prosecution of somebody who's broken the law, what's going to happen when the cops come for us? And the answer is, don't break the law. Do your job. And, and, and I, you know, if the Democrats wanted to try to take somebody who was actually doing his or her job in a cabinet post and say, why, this person's no good. 
then make the case to the public that they are. Do you think even the most hardcore Democrat, if we could know what was in their heart of hearts and say to them, do you think that Mayorkas is doing his job with, uh, as we count it right now, 1.8 million gotaways into the country and another eight and a half million encounters at the border, most of whom were given, you know, cash and a plane ticket anywhere they wanted to go in, in America? Is he doing his job to safeguard the border? And, Bob, the argument I keep hearing, and I've heard it from Kathy Hochul recently, the governor of New York, who at least said they ought to deport the guys who beat the cops, although that kind of sets up a double standard, too, saying it's okay if illegals commit crimes against American citizens, but if they attack a government employee, a cop, then then we have to take serious consequences. But they say, well, you won't give Joe Biden the tools he needs to control the border. Well, Donald Trump had the same tools that Joe has uh, right now. In other words, Donald Trump wasn't given anything extra by the Congress, wasn't given the wall, wasn't given a you know big pile of resources. And he managed to bring about, by the numbers, the lowest illegal entry to the United States in history. Joe Biden now has the highest illegal entry to the United States in history. And they're trying to say, well, that's because he doesn't have the resources. Well, then how did Donald Trump, with the same tools available to him, bring about the lowest level and with the same tools you've got, you you brought about the biggest influx of illegals. It doesn't make any sense that he needs more resources. He needs to actually use them. That That is precisely the point. Uh, Donald Trump uh, had backbone. He recognized how to stop and the need to stop illegal immigration across the border. And he did so with the tools that were more than adequate on the books. What Biden is doing uh, is deliberately saying, oh, Congress hasn't given me the tools, yet if you go back and you look at several of those executive orders that he signed on January 21st of 2021, uh, you see very quickly, I guess it was on January 20th maybe, that he signed them, a whole stack of them, yep. and some of those deliberately and, and explicitly undid the executive tools that Trump used to help stop the illegal crossings against the border. So, not only is this uh, a ridiculous argument that he's making that Congress hasn't given the tools, their laws that have been on the books for years, but he deliberately undid the tools, the supplemental tools that Trump used. Well, what's funny about this, Bob, is Donald Trump would walk down on occasion to the White House briefing room. I've been, a, I've been in the room, but I've never been able to get a, you know, a seat and a press card to be there for a briefing. But if, if Joe Biden were subjected to the same questions, the same level of question where Trump would walk in sometimes unannounced and, and do an hour of just answering questions off the cuff. If Joe Biden had to answer questions and reporters are starting to ask some of them, I mean, the liberal media is being dragged against their will to have to ask these questions. If they were to say to Joe Biden, Mr. President, if you were to revoke all those executive orders in which you revoked everything Donald Trump had put in place, wouldn't that begin to slow the flow of people? And I don't know how he could say otherwise, because we know it did for four years under Trump. We know it was reversed by Joe Biden, and this is the result we get. But he never has to answer these questions because 
everybody accepts that he's so demented and out of it that he wouldn't be able to he wouldn't be able to do 15 minutes with reporters with real questions. So one of the dangers of having a president who's mentally unfit for the job is that nobody gets to hold him to account. That's how politicians are held to account. You do something crazy or stupid or illegal and you're going to get a ton of reporters at your door demanding answers to questions you don't have answers to and then you end up resigning. You know, it's what happens to Republicans and Democrats when they, you know, pull some kind of nonsense and all of a sudden they can't answer the questions and they realize the gig is up. But in terms of uh, Biden, he he never has to answer those questions. No, he's being given a pass. And then these patsies that they put out there, whether it's from the Defense Department or the National Security Council or the little lady that that goes out there, uh, I forget her initials. You know, uh, yeah, and uh, makes these ridiculous statements with a straight face, uh, and it means absolutely nothing. It is it is embarrassing as an American to see the the poor performance, the 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 uh, it, the ridiculous performance by spokespeople for this administration on matters of the highest importance in national security. But Biden won't answer them, so they send these uh, these patsies out there to do so. And it just makes matters worse because it emphasizes the fact that Biden doesn't know this entire administration, doesn't know what's going on, not just him, but his spokespeople as well. At least John Kirby has the, uh, I guess, the honor to stand there and look embarrassed while he's giving stupid answers. Corrine Jean-Pierre just gets mad and walks out of the room because she doesn't have any answers. That's Bob Barr, soon to become the president of the National Rifle Association. Back in a moment, you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Small-town politics with big-town opinions. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show on a Conspiracy Theory Thursday. Your calls are welcome at 866-HEY-LARS, and I'll get to them in just a moment. At 866-439-5277. As always, naysayers go to the head of the line. You can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can vote in our poll on X, formerly the Twitter poll. Do you trust Nikki Haley's judgment after she said that Texas can secede from the union if it chooses to and if the people of Texas support that idea. Uh, I'll get to your calls in just a moment. i got to tell you about this story, though, because the New York Post did a great job on it. 87-year-old man who's been living in San Francisco for a long time. The only problem is he is quite elderly at this point, and he's been assaulted multiple times on the streets of San Francisco. Do you know what he's decided to do? He's going to go back to a place that is safer, he thinks, than the United States, China, his home country of China. He's lived in the United States for literally decades, but Jing Lao says it's too dangerous here. He's quoted by the San Francisco Standard, and his family booked the father 
Roxgen Libao, 87, a one-way ticket back to his home city of Guangzhou. At least I know how to pronounce that one. He was the victim of one high-profile assault in 2020. Security footage caught a deranged man jump-kicking him as he sat in his walker waiting for a bus on a street. So now he's decided... America's just too dangerous, even a high-end city like the city of San Francisco, and he's going to go back to China, where it's safer. Uh, a lot fewer freedoms, but safer all the same. Let's go to Sid in California, listening on the great KPAY. Hey, Sid, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Oh, hello, Lars. Thank, thank you for taking the call. And, sure. Uh, oh, what, uh, what I'm... Uh, she's, it's a million things on my mind, but, but the border is, is a big <laughs> you and me deal. Both. And, uh, yeah, and I heard, uh, uh, I heard that the, the government shut down to a trickle from about 1924 to 1964. Yep. To allow a large part for uh, people to assimilate, uh, from both sides just for things to gel and be better. And, uh, I was wondering what law that uh, was used there and, and why it couldn't be used well, again. Well, it, it wasn't so much a law that forbade immigration. It's that immigration went down to a very small number, and then along came good old Ted Kennedy. You know, his his family uh, mm. has not done a lot of favors for this country. John F. Kennedy, I admired some of the things that he uh, did, like major tax cuts and things like that. But uh, yeah. But Ted Kennedy went in and proposed... We're going to liberalize our immigration to the United States. And that's what really ended that long period. And you're right. It's from the 20s to the early 60s, where America had a very limited amount of, of immigration. And more recently, I would point out to people, when people call me and they say, in fact, a gentleman called me yesterday. I think he was frustrated uh, with me because he said, well, it just takes too long to get into the United States. Sid, have you ever gone to any kind of business, a concert, a restaurant, or anything else, where there was a long line of people waiting? Sure. Okay, and why, if you're standing outside a restaurant, why is there a long line outside the restaurant? Because it's a great place. And it's a great place, and it means every table is full, and they can only let more customers in as the customers inside go out. And so you say, yep. that's the reason. In the United States, there are people who say, we ought to make it easier to immigrate to the United States. I think it's plenty easy right now. We have more than one million who are allowed into the country every year. Uh, I don't have the exact number for last year, but it's more than one million. And you say, okay, a million a year. In a decade, that's 10 million people. Except, Sid, you have to add another number to that. If you check with INS, as I have, Immigrations and Naturalization Service, and you say, once somebody comes here and they spend a few years and they keep their nose clean, they don't commit crimes, they are allowed to take the test and take the oath and become an American citizen. And then what happens next is significant. The average immigrant who comes to America and becomes a citizen then says, I would like to have be reunified with my family. So we have very liberal laws. And the average immigrant brings in three family members. So don't think of it as 10 or 12 million in the next decade. And this is all the legal immigration, not the illegal stuff. So the illegal stuff is on top of that. But if you say, okay, in the next uh, 10 years, we're going to let in about 12 million people legally. 
And then they're going to become citizens, and they will ask to be reunified with family members, a mother, a father, grandfather, uncle, whatever. And uh, and you say, how many does the average immigrant bring in? And the answer is three. So take the 12 million and add another 36 million to that. That means that even optimistically, you're talking about in the next decade, adding 50 million people to the United States. And there are a bunch of things that don't uh, happen under that. Go ahead. It's uh, and it's the the variety, the type, the, you know, the fact that many of them are approved already to be terrorists. And and well, hold on, hold on, hold on, Sid, Sid, I want to caution you. Be careful about that. And here's why. The a- <laughs> sorry, the average immigrant, and this is where the de- the liberals and Democrats will play a game. They'll say the average immigrant to America is more law-abiding than an American citizen, and there's a reason for that. But it doesn't. The, it, the rule does not apply to illegal aliens. Illegal aliens, on average, commit crimes more and worse crimes: murder, rape, assault than than citizens do. But if all you do is look at green card holders and you say, how law-abiding are these people on average? And on average, they're much more law-abiding than American citizens. But there's a reason for that, Sid. The reason is this. They're heading for being legal. Well, not just for being legal, but, Sid, I used to have a young lady who worked for me as a producer. And she was from Canada. She'd come here as a little girl, and she never became a citizen. And I always encouraged her to do that. But if she committed a crime, do you know what happens to her, even though she hasn't been in Canada in decades? She gets Mm -hmm. her green card pulled, and they say, move back to Canada, or we will deport you. If you don't go back on your own, we'll deport you. So if somebody comes here uh, legally and has a green card and knows in five years they can become a citizen, Once you become a citizen, it's very difficult to reverse that and kick you out of the country. It does happen to naturalized citizens occasionally, you know, who've been found to be Nazi prison camp guards and things like that. But for the most part, once you're a citizen, Sid, there isn't a crime that you could commit or I could commit that would get us get our citizenship revoked and get kicked out of the country. There really isn't. Um, Treason could get you executed, but... And I've checked this with lawyers. There may be a tiny exception somewhere, but I'm not aware of it. But if you're a citizen, you could be commit. You could commit the most horrendous crime in the world. You still do not get your citizenship revoked. But if you're a green card holder and you commit even, you know, a moderate crime, you can be kicked out of the United States. And I think that's the way it should be. If somebody says, I want to move to your country. okay, we'll let you do it legally. Okay, and I'd like to someday become a citizen. We say to them through the law, come here, mind your P's and Q's, don't commit any crimes, and after five years, you can become a citizen. That keeps green card holders very, very law-abiding. On the other hand, uh, in the state where we base our show, which is the state of Oregon, I know the numbers there well, about 4 or 5% of the population is illegals. The percentage of people sitting in prison convicted of murder who are illegal aliens is 14%, or three and a half times as many as illegals in the population. Uh, rape, it's 18%. So what happens is the liberals would like you to believe that all the illegal aliens are just as law-abiding as the legal aliens. 
which would be like saying the, the average pharmacist is as law-abiding as the average crack dealer. You got the Lars, Lars. Lots of folks worry about their firearms, but Lars doesn't have to worry about Biden taking his guns. He stores them upstairs. This is the Lars Larson Show. Big Iron on his Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's Conspiracy Theory Thursday. I don't have a good conspiracy theory of my own, although it does seem kind of strange that uh, the President of the United States has taken a fuel that we have in abundance, and it's a clean fuel as well, natural gas, and he has decreed that they will try to shut down as much American use of the fuel, and now more recently has said we're not going to even expand our capability to share this fuel, which by which we mean sell this fuel, to the rest of the world, even though it has obvious benefits to our country to do exactly that. So I thought we'd talk to Dr. Bonner Cohen, who's a senior policy analyst at the Committee for a Constructive Tomorrow. Dr. Cohen, welcome to the program. Well, I'm awfully glad to be here, Lars. I... Uh... I, I always tell my audience if I have a dog in the fight. So I'm in a, uh, I live in a house that has natural gas heat. It has natural gas water heat. It has a natural gas stove. It has all kinds of natural gas. Natural gas everywhere you can see. So I'm very biased in favor of the fuel, but I have no financial interest other than the monthly bill that I pay to the gas company for that wonderful fuel. Why in the world is Joe Biden doing this? He's doing this, first and foremost, because his administration... Uh, since coming into office three years ago, has declared war on fossil fuels, uh, saying that fossil fuels are bad for the climate. And he and his administration have done everything they possibly could to lead the United States, and for that matter, the rest of the world, into what they would have us believe is a transition away from fossil fuels into what is called clean energy. Well, uh, and the Biden administration has chosen precisely this moment in history uh, when Europeans, Japanese, South Koreans, and other people around the world are dying to get their hands on American liquefied natural gas so that they can do the kinds of things that you do in your home with the fuel that they can rely on. So what has the Biden administration done? It has decided it is going to pause, there's an interesting word for you, uh, all applications for new liquid natural gas terminals. We send the natural gas to these terminals. The natural gas is then frozen, put on ships, and sent overseas to ready and willing customers. And what are we doing? We're pausing this. How long will the pause last? It will last a long time. I can assure you it will last well past November, probably into next year. Currently, there are four applications for liquid natural gas terminals that are pending. Well, uh, they're in limbo now. And in order to meet the demand, the growing demand for American natural gas, we need new LNG terminals. And 
if we don't build them, those customers are going to go elsewhere. And by the way, one of the places they are going to go, albeit with great reluctance, will be Vladimir Putin's Russia, which also has lots of natural gas. It would be delighted to sell them. And by the way, Iran also has natural gas, and it can supply them with liquid natural gas, too. So there is the geopolitical masterstroke of the Biden administration. This seems like a tremendous opportunity for Republicans who are pushing back against Joe Biden to say all those terminals you want to pause. That would be, I would guess, thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of union jobs, mostly union jobs. I'm not a fan of unions, but they represent a lot of people in the construction business. Um, lots and lots of union jobs. And when we explore for natural gas, holes drilled in the ground by private companies. And when they find natural gas, usually on federal land, lots of money for the Treasury, lots of money for the economy and lots of jobs. All those things are good. And yet Joe Biden's getting away as what he calls himself the one of the most pro-union presidents in American history with taking all those union jobs and simply throwing them away. They're taking union jobs and throwing them away. They're also taking opportunities away from people. One of the arguments that they put forward uh, for making this pause is a lot of these uh, liquid natural gas terminals are located in Louisiana. In Texas, along the Gulf Coast, uh, near minority neighborhoods. And they argue in the name of environmental justice that these facilities really shouldn't be located there because they pose a threat to the health and well-being of minority communities. Well, minority communities also want natural gas, and they also want the very well-paying jobs uh, that go with the construction and operation of LNG terminals. But they, too, are going to be denied this, all in the name of saving the planet, from a climate crisis, which is pure fiction. It is. And by the way, Dr. Cohen, I want people to realize the United States in the last 20 years has dramatically reduced the output of CO2. Now, I don't think of CO2 as a pollutant. I don't think it is. It's plant food. But even if you buy that nonsense, isn't natural gas the single biggest contributor to reducing CO2 output in the United States? A lot of foreign uh, customers who may be denied access to American natural gas are going to have to go elsewhere. And yes, they can go to Russia and Iran for natural gas, but they can also go to coal. I share your view that CO2, man-made CO2, poses no threat to public health or the climate whatsoever. But it is a fact of life that natural gas uh, does produce less CO2 than coal. And coal, though it's mined currently in the U.S., it's, it's very safe uh, and it's very clean. That is not necessarily, putting it mildly, uh, the case in places like China. China has lots of coal. It would be delighted to fill the gap that the Biden administration uh, has created by putting our uh, applications for new natural gas terminals on hold. So what you're really doing uh, is you're forcing people either to go into a geopolitical rivals of the U.S. for their natural gas or to turn to China, an even greater geopolitical rival, to get coal. Of course, it makes 
absolutely no sense whatsoever unless you want to appease your uh, climate activist in an election year. And I don't categorically rule out that that's exactly what's going on here. I think that is exactly what's going on. So Joe Biden cheats the American Treasury, cheats the American worker, cheats the unions, denies himself a tool that would be incredibly powerful in use against Putin and others, and at least would give people the option. We don't want to buy from Putin. Good. We'll buy from the United States. And Joe Biden says no. That's Dr. Bonner Cohen, who's a senior policy analyst at the Committee for a Constructive Tomorrow. Factor that in when you think about who you're going to vote for in November. You've got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and your emails. It is Conspiracy Theory Thursday. And I'm glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Uh, naysayers, of course, always go to the head of the line. If you call into this show and you disagree with my point of view, we're going to put you first. Just be ready for a couple of questions. You can also answer our X poll, used to be called Twitter. You can find it on X at Lars Larson Show and on our website at LarsLarson.com. First, I want to take a call, and that's Randy. Randy, welcome to the program. What's on your mind today? Hey, Lars. Good. Uh, listen to you all the time while I'm out here working in the dirt. Thank uh, you. Uh, I appreciate you working in the dirt, too. Thursday. I assume you're growing something, right? No, well, grass mostly, just irrigation y stuff for on farm work. But, uh, about a year ago, my wife showed me a video on from YouTube called "Died Suddenly." I've seen and it, and they and they've changed the name regular, so it keeps keeps it on the up there because they take it down, I guess. Yeah, they do. But in that video, there was lots of prominent people saying, "If we can get everyone in the world vaccinated, we can lower the population." That would seem kind of counterintuitive. If you're going to vaccinate everybody, wouldn't you save lives and have more people? And so my theory is, if you look at everything going on from the liberal world, including Biden and even worldwide, if you look at everything through the lens of population control, not mm -hmm. controlling people's thoughts, but cutting the number of people in the world. And they've talked about that in that video, that it explains crime, it explains the border problem it explains inflation explains war it explains everything they're doing is population control if you look at everything through the lens of of that and it's unfortunately when you start putting that in your mind is what why would they be doing this why would they let 10 million illegals cross the border why would they be promoting iran why are they okay with crime 
why are they okay with and hiding the jab problems? Why are they, and they have. so nonchalant about, you know, some things out there about death and whatnot? It explains it all, and I haven't really heard it on any other show well, or your show. Well, look, sometimes. we've talked about there's a weird phenomenon that all of us, I mean, all of us who are paying attention had our eyes open and our ears peeled, uh, that we watched what was happening, that after they began giving the jab, and I, you know, I have to admit I have a bias there because I haven't taken it. I chose not to. Neither. I, I nothing. Nothing bad happened. I got it. I got COVID. Fine. I got over it. It, it was that. It was a bad right. case of the flu. I mean, it was it was a two day tough case of the flu. But um, we now know, and I was just talking about this last week, that the CDC, all these people were supposed to trust. They knew ahead of time that the mRNA jab was likely, because they'd heard it from the pharma companies, it's likely to cause some, and it is statistically a small number, of pericarditis and myocarditis cases. And right after they started giving it, 14 November 2020 was when the first vaccine doses landed in communities all over America, you know, to much fanfare. Joe Biden got his first shot in December and then his second one in January, and then he forgot that he had had it, which is kind of typical of where he is right now. But they knew there was a problem. So I'm stating facts. They knew there was a problem. And then in about in February and March, as the numbers of Americans who'd taken the jab was going up, the number of reported cases through VAERS of myocarditis and pericarditis went up to the point where in May, May of 21, uh, the CDC actually drafted a memo. And they have this network, and I can't remember the name, but it's, it's called SAT, a special attention uh, notice or something like that. And they, they were going to send this memo out saying, hey, by the way, we're seeing a lot of these cases, which would be smart. You've got this brand new experimental vaccine that was only authorized as an experimental vaccine. And uh, and they and what happened was it got shut down. The powers that be said we're not going to send that notice out. And in fact, I ran a soundbite the other day of Rochelle Walensky, who's to head head the CDC. And she was asked about pericarditis and myocarditis in late June of that year. And she said, oh, yeah, we've had a couple of reports of that, but it's very, very rare. And she just blew it off. So yeah. you you know about a problem before you give the shots. You start seeing the problem in December of 2020 when the number of people who'd taken the jab was very small. And then by May, your own department is drafting a memo. You know, think of this in a company, you know, where they say, hey, boss, we had to send out a memo. We're seeing this problem. And the powers that be say no. And they literally, there are emails now that they were obtained by Epic Times, which is a good paper. And um, But they got the memos, and the memos said, we decided not to send it out because it would cause people to be concerned about the, about the jab. And you're like, no kidding. When you tell people, well, there might be a problem with it. Because by June or July of 21, Joe Biden was running around the country saying, if you get the shot, you can't catch COVID at all. Right. And, and, and which June of 2022, sorry. In June by 2022, they were seeing other things, people just falling over, and they were dead. And they were. And, 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 and they've the, and never, the, ever seen before. It, and the most the world, surprising people, time. Randy, were athletes. Because, look, right. I'm not, nobody's ever going to call me an athlete, right? But I, I have great anymore. admiration for young men and women who play tennis, who play soccer, who play, you know, even a dumb game like soccer, that, that they do all these yeah. things, and you know that if they're on any kind of high-level amateur team or a pro team, 
they're being monitored by doctors all the time about all the things right. that can go wrong for an athlete. And they're just out there playing and boom, they die. And you wonder what the heck is happening. And I wonder if, if the theory you're hearing is, isn't right. I mean, why would the president of the United States make friends with communist China that created this virus apparently deliberately and with our, our money? created it yeah. in that lab and then lied about it and lied about it and lied about it and joe wants them well, to be going and ahead. i've even seen a video on on some moose channel somewhere and it just one time i've never seen it again where in 2016 i think even before the election there's anthony fauci saying there's a very likely chance that in this next administration there's going to be a pandemic mm-hmm. well that just brings that. Do you, that's do you know what's even, you, you know, the more stunning soundbite we've run <laughs> is Fauci in 2019, the year before the pandemic began. 2019, he's at a conference and we've run the soundbite. It's not faked. It's not AI. And he says, and he was asked, uh, you know, uh, is there a new technology for making vaccines? He said, well, we're working on them. But remember, if we ever get one of these cutting edge technologies, he says it's going to have to go through all the clinical trials and all the testing, and it'll likely take about 10 years before it's approved for use on the public. And that's Anthony Fauci saying that. And and then all of a sudden, the very next year, you've got a, a, a vaccine, supposedly a vaccine, that doesn't actually prevent you from getting COVID, and it's developed in nine months, and it's being shot into everybody on the planet. Oh, and by the way, Anthony Fauci started the pandemic, $5 million in net worth. By the end of the pandemic, he was $12 million in net worth. And you wonder, I think the pandemic paid off very nicely for Anthony Fauci. Back in just a moment, you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. This is a... The 40th president of the United States always knew where to put the blame. You have blamed mistakes of the past, and you blame the Congress. Does any of the blame belong to you? Yes, because for many years I was a Democrat. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm always glad to get to your calls. First, if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line. If you want to send an email instead, talk at LarsLarson.com. And of course, you can always vote in our poll on X. Questions there every day at Lars Larson Show. You can also find it on my website at LarsLarson.com. I got to talk about these transgender issues because we're presented with a really strange situation involving a one of these so-called transgender kids, a 14-year-old girl who says she's actually a boy by the name of Leo. And the, what I think is even stranger is the alleged Republican governor of the great state of Montana. I lived there a couple of times when I was a kid, Greg Gianforte, who apparently has decided to defend the state's action to take this child away from her parents because her parents would not endorse her change from girl to boy. And I thought, well, I got to reach out to the guy I first met at the SHOT Show, the Shooting Hunting Outdoor Trade Show, Aaron Flint, who's an Iraq and Afghanistan veteran and host of the program Montana Talks. Aaron, it's good to talk to you again. The great Lars Larson, an honor to be on your program. 
Well, tell me this. You've got to, you know, you're at least closer to the subject matter than I am. But a few days ago, I started telling my audience about this this girl uh, who thinks she's a boy and she fakes a suicide, uh, calls, you know, uh, calls the hospital and says, I've, tr- I've swallowed drain cleaner and an overdose of ibuprofen. That turns out not to be true. But when she gets to the hospital and the state busybodies step in, they say, you know, she tells them, I want to be a boy. My name is Leo. My parents don't endorse that idea. And the state decides to take her away from the parents' custody and ship her off to another state to a gender change clinic. Did I get any of that wrong? So you mentioned the key thing here, which I think is is what this boils down to. It's it's a dispute over suicidal ideation. Apparently, that is is what originated this dispute, which eventually led to the state placing her into a psychiatric treatment facility. So uh, the, the big question coming up at the national level is this. Did Montana Child Protective Services remove a child from her family because they didn't support her wishes of identifying as a boy? The state of Montana is, is not only saying that that would not be the basis for removal, but uh, just last night, Governor Gianforte and the state DPHHS has now issued additional guidance further backing up that policy. But, uh, yeah, I actually first got wind of this story um, a, a while back, and then, of course, the family went on Facebook. Uh, uh, the judge ordered them to remove their, their video from Facebook. And that's Todd Colstead and Krista Colstead. So they actually yeah. went public and said, this is what happened to us, right? Exactly. And then I had her on the radio show, so I got a chance uh, to chat with Krista Colstead, the stepmom, the mom in, in this story, uh, a little over a week ago, about a week and a half ago. And so, so yeah, because when I first heard about this, too, I'm, I'm like, you, what in the world? Why, is it, why would this be happening in Montana? I mean, it's bad enough stuff like this happens in California, but how could this be happening in Montana? The governor then came out with a lengthy response, libs of TikTok, uh, uh, and, uh, and several others that have really been champions on these issues, pushing back on this radical transgender agenda. We're asking that question, how, why is this happening in Montana? And then Governor Gianforte released a lengthy thread on X, uh, Twitter, where he said, Lieutenant Governor Kristen Juris has investigated this. She's looked at court documents, everything. So that led a lot of us back here in the state to say, okay, maybe there's much more to this story that they are not able to share. So I, I, I do know that there's a frustration within the, the governor's office because they've been champions when it comes to standing up for families and pro-life. Well, and he, si- it he signed back. the law, right? Montana legislature passed a law last, last year, which I thought was great. A lot of states won't do it. And it said... It is against the law to do gender transition, either chemicals or or surgery on children. That's against the law. And he signed that law. So it seems strange. But are they relying on the narrow interpretation of saying, well, we didn't take her away from the parents because of the transgender issue. We took him took her away from his her father and and stepmother because she was suicidal. That's what they're telling uh, the state? Yeah, well, because it, it, even lawyers might say, well, wait a minute, is that even enough of a reason to remove a child from a home? I had an attorney on the program with me this morning that said that in itself doesn't sound like enough of a cause for removal. So there must be more to this story. But to your point, Senate Bill 99, that was the bill Governor Gianforte signed into law, basically saying taxpayer funds, taxpayer entities will not be used to support these radical, you know, chopping body parts off of kids in, in this radical transgender. Chemical and castration, double mastectomies, exactly. all that stuff, right? 
Exactly. But I think I would argue, though, that, that what this story is, is showing is that, A, we need more reforms put in place in addition to Senate Bill 99, because what, what they did to this, this girl down in Wyoming and the facility she was put in there is they, they put chest binders on her. Well, that can have complications. Uh, I mean, they're not chopping body parts off, but they're putting chest binders on. They're treating her like a boy. They're dressing her in boys' clothes. Well, and see, that, see, even well, the social but, uh, hold transition on. can cause I'm talking harm. to Aaron Flint. Aaron hosts the Montana Talk Show, and we're, I'm reaching out to him because this issue is coming out of Montana. He's also, and by the way, thanks for your service in uniform in Iraq and Afghanistan. But if the state is saying this wasn't about her desire to change genders, then why send her to a place and put ch- that puts chest binders on her? Well, and that's the question. And, and what I've uh, what I've heard is that the re- and, and I've seen this reported elsewhere as well, that the reason she got sent. So the hospital and local authorities in Glasgow, Montana, said, hey, she needs uh, immediate uh, psychiatric care. Uh, there were Senator no Helen Armand or Missoula, right? Well, we had a Democrat governor that that gutted mental health services because he wanted to push gun control because he was running for president along with 50 other people. And so so that Democrat governor guts mental health services. So now the Republicans have to try to rebuild that with the surplus they've they've maintained now. So there was no bed space available. So they sent her to this place in Wyoming. And then that's where this social transitioning happens. And so I think, yeah, we have to have laws on the books that also prevent the social transitioning because that can lead to more harm down the road as well right confusion i mean if you've got a 14 year old girl god bless her but you know you feel for her she's clearly got mental issues if she's threatening suicide and and i think gender dysphoria whatever you want to call it is is also evidence that you've got you've got mental problems that need to be addressed fine but you don't address them by accommodating that you know like the comedians say if my kid tells me he wants to be a pirate you don't have his leg chopped off and his eye poked out uh, and and so exactly. wh- why are they endorsing this stuff? And how does Gianforte explain that this is in keeping if the if the letter of the law said you can't do surgery and chemicals on kids, but didn't forbid other things? How is this keeping with the spirit of the law that said don't do this stuff to kids? And and is the governor saying, well, we didn't do the surgery, we didn't allow the surgery or the chemicals, but we're allowing them to, you know, basically buy into this young lady's desires to say she's actually a boy. Well, exactly. But here's the other catch. So you're right. So Montana passed the law. The governor signed it into law that uh, SB 99, you will not perform these uh, these surgeries, et cetera. You will not chop body parts off of kids. But here's the deal. A liberal judge. We, Montana has, has made a recent turn to become a red state in 2020. Significant shift finally after 16 years of Democrat governors. But our, we've got a liberal mob that runs our Montana Supreme Court. A majority of our district court judges were appointed by Democrats. And, and these, and these tyrannists on the bench are, are taking all of this work that, that the legislature and the governor got across the finish line and throwing it in the trash can. They're abusing their power to do so. SB 99 was halted. So technically, that's not even the law oh, right God. now because a liberal judge shot it down. But nonetheless, you know, they're saying that, hey, longstanding DPHHS policy is that, is that no, is that gender dysphoria in, in parents who don't support, uh, you know, this gender transition, that is not the basis of removal. And he's issued new guidance to back that up. But I completely agree with you. We've also got to make it clear that, that they should not be if, – if, if a kid – if if you think that your kid is struggling with suicidal ideation and the state is recommending that you put that kid into some state treatment facility 
why would you put them into a state treatment facility if you think they're going to be one of these trans evangelists harming your kid with this radical transgender agenda? So they- it doesn't make any sense. That's Aaron Flint. He served in uniform in Iraq and Afghanistan. He now hosts Montana Talks. Aaron, it's always a pleasure. We'll go to break now. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Nixon was wrong about a lot of things, but he's right about this. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. What say you, Joe Biden? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'll be glad to get to your phone calls and emails shortly. But I want to talk about what happened in the United States Congress. They summoned the heads of all the major social media companies like Zuckerberg from Meta and TikTok's CEO and also the CEO of X. And they, uh, you know, they, as Congress likes to do, they beat the beat the table a bit and yelled at them and they should yell at them. I'm just not sure it's going to make a big difference. So I thought we'd check in with our friend Jessica Malusian, who's with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Jessica, good to have you back. And uh, uh, do you think that this congressional hearing at which they finally got uh, Zuckerberg to do a kind of a mea culpa? You're right. We're guilty. And we're really, really sorry. Is this going to make a difference in any way? I mean, I think you cut to the quick of it right away, right? That might be emotionally satisfying for some people, but it certainly isn't going to be any help to parents who are worried about their kids online. Um, It was performative, and it was designed to make a media circus, which it did. I mean, we had accusations of Communist Party membership, forced apologies, coordinated T-shirts. I mean, it was a circus. And um, unfortunately, none of that gets to, you know, the suffering of these victims and their families, and it doesn't prevent anything either. Um, It's just sort of a lot of hot air being blown around and making political hay out of, uh, you know, a real problem, which is, you know, what can we do to help parents keep their kids safe online? And unfortunately, the proposals that they're arguing for right now have huge constitutional problems. Um, I'm sure they're well-intentioned, but there's a lot of trade-offs in terms of speech and privacy um, that aren't going to go away just because they get a couple days of, you know, praising media coverage. This is like the hard work of legislating that needs to be done, and, and what we had instead was sort of a circus. Am I wrong to look at it, uh, Jessica, by saying it seemed as though in the 2020 election, the social media companies, including X before Elon Musk bought it and changed it dramatically. I I guess it's changed dramatically. I mean, uh, you know, it remains to be seen in the long term. But if if they found it very easy to take. Uh, entire political messages and kind of erase them uh, so that um, Americans never saw them. You can do that, but you can't keep ads for uh, human traffickers on the border off of Meta, and you can't keep, uh, you know, child porn and other kinds of illicit activities. How is it you're so good at tracking down conservative ideology and you can't find your backside with a map and a flashlight when it comes to, to tracking down things that anybody, any reasonable person would say, this is dangerous to kids. It shouldn't even be on your platform. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think there's always more the platform's 
could do, and I think there's a better job they could do. Um, you know, I will say a little bit in their defense, they take down a shocking amount of content. If, if they didn't do what they were doing, the Internet would not be a place where any of us would want to spend 30 seconds. Um, there's a lot of garbage. And, and the big platforms, you know, they have billions of users. So if you think about what if you're just posting one thing a day, what does that mean in terms of content? But I agree, they could do a better job. Um, but part of the problem, too, here is we have, like, different buckets of problems, Right. So child sexual explicit material, you know, they're already obligated by law to take that down. And they take a really shocking amount down. It's, it's kind of disgusting when you learn how much there is out there. Um, but it's not perfect. And also the tools they use to take it down are largely driven by artificial intelligence and other filters. And sometimes those filters don't do a good job of identifying when it's like, you know, your toddler nephew running around adorably on the front lawn in a diaper. <laughs> and when it's something that's, you know, completely unacceptable. So that's part of the confusion here, too, is that there's so much content that that filtering is automated. So Well, and, and, and but, but Jessica, they're, they're all they're always telling us how A.I. is going to do. I mean, A.I. can do amazing stuff right now. If it's that good, then then is it possible for this new A.I. assist to be able to say that's a kid in a diaper at a family birthday party? That's porn. And, and, and make the distinction. Uh, it, it's as though all these technological capabilities that they take, they say are going to help us, you know, cure cancer and everything else. But in terms of keeping dirty pictures of child, child pornography off the internet, no, no, it can't get that done. I, I don't I, think I that think makes sense. I think it's going to get better. I think you're going to see improvements, but I still think that it's going to be very difficult for an AI uh, technology to understand when something is breast cancer self exam education and when it's pornography, right? There's some questions. I, I, I think it can get better and I think it should get better. Um, and I'm all for that. But I think that getting rid of um, citizens' right to anonymously be online and yep. sacrificing an enormous amount of privacy by banning end-to-end encryption are some really, really big trade-offs. And, you know, those are reasonable, right? You can Reasonable people can disagree about where that trade-off is. But unfortunately, we're not even having that conversation at this hearing, right? Because nope. we're conflating kids spending too much time online with, um, you know, serious crimes. And, and it's not a nuanced, productive conversation because there's cameras in the room. So it's just an opportunity to score some points. And that is such a disservice to the victims who came that day. And I will say they deserve thanks because I bet last night a lot of parents went home and had a very important conversation with their kids about what never to do online and opened a line of communication saying, you know, if you get into trouble online, you come to me, you don't self-harm, you don't commit suicide, you don't let people extort money from you, right? These, a lot of this comes back to us being more proactive as parents, not all of it, but a lot of it is that. This is a relatively new thing and we need to tackle this like we tackle, tackle stranger danger in the real world and a lot of other things. And it's well, exhausting. I'm, uh, I'm a parent and I'm exhausted. <laughs> but bet. there uh, are... A lot of tools out there that can help you, right? There's content filters. There's time thing that's available to you, like your Internet service provider has those. Your operating system on your kid's phone has those. There's standalone apps that can tell you everything your kid is doing on their phone. So it's not perfect yet, but I think it'll get better. Um, and, like, these are the kind of conversations we need to be having, right? Parents need help in keeping those tragedies from happening to their own kids. Well, and that's not uh, what we saw yesterday. We no, saw a bunch of they should be able to sue them. 
That's bombastic really stuff. Helpful. And and I, I yes. don't think bringing the lawyers in or having, you know, millions of dollars paid one way or the other is is necessarily the right way. I'm talking to Jessica Malusian from the Competitive Enterprise. And by the way, Jessica, I don't mean to leave parents out of this because I think parents do have a responsibility. And when you take it to parents for the things they are capable of doing, then all those concerns about First Amendment free speech pretty much go by the wayside because a parent yeah. can say to my to the kids, look, Number one, you're not erasing anything from your history. If I find your history erased, your device goes away for a week or a month or a year. And, yeah. and, and I will look at your history and I'll sit there and browse through your history. And if I find anything in there that should not be in there, you're losing your device or other privileges or whatever. Parents can do that all day long. If we tell the, yeah. the government, no, we want censorship, which is, you know, and it is, it's a legitimate concern to say, do we want these private companies censoring? No. Do I want parents to, to be discriminating about what their kids are allowed to access and about having real consequences for their kids when their kids are getting up to something they shouldn't be in that is actually dangerous? Do it because you've got the legal ability and the moral and ethical uh, ability and responsibility to do it. And the government can't do that kind of thing, nor do we want them to. Right on. I mean, be a dictator in your own home. It's the only place I'm going to root for that. But it's true. That's our job. And. You know, the other thing is with just saying, like, let's take it away from kids up until 16 or 18 and some state proposals no, and, and other I don't ideas. Like bouncing. Yeah, because and here's the problem with that. They're going to have to go out and be adults in the world and they're going to have to get a job and be able to do that job. And all of those things involve being online. So let's parent them into being savvy healthy digital citizens. Let's do this with them and let's teach them good habits. Let's teach them safety. You know, we all had that friend, um, first department or first year at college who, you know, just went crazy socializing or drinking or eating junk food because it had been withheld completely at home. They've never learned moderation. We don't want that for us. No, we don't want that at all. Jessica Malusian is with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. It's always a pleasure, Jessica. Thank you very much. Back in a moment, we'll get to your calls. 866-439-5277. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Control explained. Want to stop drunk drivers from killing sober drivers? Ban sober drivers. That's how gun control works. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody sets their house on fire and then complains it could take so long for the fire department to respond. You created this. That is the governor of the great state of New York, Kathy Hochul, who has recently actually come out in favor of deporting at least some of the illegal aliens who've been flooding into her state, including most especially the seven or so illegal aliens who did a beatdown on two cops in Times Square over last weekend, right in front of God and everybody, right out in public, in broad daylight, and on camera. They beat down those cops. There are now seven of them who've been arrested and charged, including some who are already wanted on other charges as well. And when the governor was asked, Governor Hochul of New York State, uh, who's been a sanctuary state governor, she bragged about it about a year and a half ago. Now, more recently, she's been begging that the flood of illegal aliens actually stop coming to New York. 
because they're flooding into the biggest city in America and they're creating real chaos. And yet you heard what she said. She said, well, it's like somebody set the, their own house on fire and now they're angry because the fire department isn't there very quickly. The only problem is it's Joe Biden who set the border on fire and his Homeland Security Secretary, Mayorkas, who looks like he's up to be impeached because of his high crimes and misdemeanors, his lies to the United States Congress, his violations of the law. And she's trying to blame the Republicans for it. The Republicans who don't hold the White House, don't hold the Senate, and hold a tiny, tiny majority in the House of Representatives, and yet somehow it's their fault that they did this. And in fact, I want you to hear what else she had to say about Republicans. Listen to this. Let me just say this about the Republicans. If they really do want to deal with this crisis and to stop it, why aren't the Republicans in the state of New York banding together and asking for their leadership in Washington to sign on to the bill that the Senate has negotiated, Republicans in the Senate have negotiated. There is a deal. There is a deal waiting to be signed. Yeah, deal waiting to be signed. And she talks about, well, there's the Republicans in the Senate who've negotiated this. You mean the Republicans who are sitting in the minority while the Democrats call all the shots? Do you know what kind of negotiation that is? The Democrats tell you how it's going to be. And then you, as a Republican, have the choice of either saying no and voting against it or trying to negotiate what you can from a position of being in the minority. Now, let me give you an idea of what's coming at you. Because in the House of Representatives some time ago, House Resolution 2 was passed. What it calls for is actual border security, meaning shut the border down, stop the illegals from coming across. What are the Senate, the Senate Democrats proposing? They're proposing, let's give the Border Patrol another $14 billion to hire new Border Patrol agents whose job will be to pick them up, to put them in a truck, to drive them to a center, where they're given meals and places to sleep and a hot shower and some medical care. And then they're given an airplane ticket or a bus ticket to go anywhere in America they want. Now, if you say, Lars, you must be exaggerating this. It can't be that bad. It is exactly that bad. They are the concierge service. Now, am I damning the individual members of the Border Patrol? Not at all. I mean, they're part of a paramilitary outfit. They answer to their command structure, and their command structure is part of an executive branch agency that's run by who else? Open borders Joe Biden and his erstwhile second-in-command, and that would be Kamala Harris, the border czar, who won't even go to the border. So Joe Biden has a massive problem on the border, and they're trying to say, well, this is a this is a problem created by Republicans. You mean the Republicans who control one element of government out of three, the House, and they only barely have that. Listen to what Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York, says about how Joe Biden's going to shut down the border. Take a listen. President Biden has said he will shut down the border. He's willing to. He's done everything the Republicans have asked him to do. And now they keep moving the goalpost further and further back because they realize they don't really want to solve this. They like the chaos that it's created. Yeah, they like the chaos. I got to tell you something, this excuse that somehow Joe Biden needs some extra tools. He needs a pile of money to be able to solve this problem. Do you know what would solve this problem right away? If Joe Biden said, hey, you remember those executive orders I signed in January of 2021 when he first took office? On his first day in office, he bragged that he reversed the Donald Trump policies on the border. Now, you say, well, how, how much good did the Donald Trump policies do? 
I'll tell you what they did. Donald Trump, during his four years in office, brought about the lowest level of illegal crossings into America in modern American history. Bill Clinton didn't come close to that. Barack Obama didn't come close to that. George W. Bush didn't come close to that. So here's Donald Trump sitting there with nothing because the Congress would give him nothing. They said no to a wall. Even a Republican Congress, under the leadership of that rhino sellout, Paul Ryan, said, we're not going to give you a wall. We're not even going to ask for a wall. And at that point, Trump had both the House and the Senate, but Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell threw him under the bus. They said, we're not going to give it to you. So he did what he could with the things that were available to him. Those same things that were available to Donald Trump to bring about the lowest level of illegal crossings into America are available to Joseph R. Biden right now. Except that what Biden would have to do, like he's done on so many other issues, he said, whatever Trump was doing, I'm doing the opposite. Trump signed something to bring down the cost of insulin. I'm revoking it. And now he brags that having revoked the previous measure by the president to bring down the cost of insulin, he said, insulin is too expensive. I'm going to have to fix it. It's like Joe Biden digs holes and then says, look at this hole. I'm going to have to fill it in. That's exactly what he's doing. Let's go to George. Hey, George, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? How you doing, Lars? This whole well. ritual is, is Biden's way of getting at the Second Amendment. Uh, he wants to stack as many illegals as he can into the, into the U.S. Uh, eventually, some of those illegals are going to get a hold of guns. They're going to start uh, using those guns for themselves. And yep. uh, the federal government is going to come down and say, well, we've got to stop this. So we'll send the ATF out and we'll declare a state of emergency and confiscate the guns of average Americans. That may be part of the agenda, but George, the more immediate agenda, it's now February. We have a presidential election in nine months. And what they're planning to do and what you can already show the evidence of, Arizona has already said to people in Arizona that their election laws say you have to show us proof of citizenship to be able to vote, to register to vote. But Arizona has also put out to the whole community, but if you come to us and you want to register to vote and you can't prove you're a citizen, get this. Arizona's already communicating that all of those extra illegal aliens, and a lot of them ended up in Arizona, are simply going to be signed up to vote. But don't worry, folks. They can't vote for county commissioner or city council or governor of Arizona. But they can vote in the presidential election. You could better believe that, you know, Joe Biden and his buddies in the, the Democratic Lawrence Party Larson are counting Show. on those illegal alien votes.